Hear the word of the Lord from John chapter 1. Let's give him our reverence in our hearts now. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were, not, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Amen. You may be seated. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord our God stands forever. Amen. And this ancient word from the Gospel of John now will give us light today. Today we're looking at the incarnation and our own identity. And we're asking the question as a subtitle, why do black lives matter? Black lives do matter. Black lives matter. Would you say that with me? Amen. Black lives matter. Now, of course, some people either misunderstanding the need to voice that in our generation or in denial that racial inequality still exists or maybe they're afraid of the competition on the social food chain. They might hashtag right back, all lives matter. Well, of course, the majority of Americans would at least say on the surface, yes, black lives matter. And of course, they would say all lives matter. But here's the radical question that we all need to ask. And by that word radical, I mean the root question, the question that's under the surface in the soil of what really matters, the heart of the matter. The question is, why does anyone's life matter? We can and we should shout out that black lives matter, but how many social justice warriors today can explain ultimately why black lives matter ultimately? Why any life matters, for that matter. Who are we, and why do we matter? Are we just an evolutionary end product of chemical bonds and amino acid mutations on this huge planet hurling through space? We're just tiny specks on the timeline of history. A little split second is all that we've got. And so we say, YOLO, right? You only live once. Is that really true? Should we bet it all on this life? I asked a brother yesterday, a black Christian brother, why do black lives matter? And he said, because we say they do. 
And then he kind of caught himself and said, well, some people say they don't. And we were already in this dilemma, this, this wobble, you know, wobble with me, wobble with me, wobble with me. You know, you guys don't know? Okay, never mind. Uh, that's very shaky ground. That's very unstable ground. We assign value to life. We say that black lives matter or any life matters. That's why they matter. I sure hope not. I, I sure hope that's not all we have to go on, is what our opinions are or our convictions are or our passions are. No matter how good they are, I think we should find something deeper than that, something more radical than that, something more stable than that. And of course, we might ask, is there really an absolute moral law that runs the universe that says why it matters? Is there really a person behind all the people who, who has a purpose that permeates the very existence of our universe and pulsates through every human heart and tells us why we matter? I, I really do think that we need something bigger than ourselves to define who we are and why we matter. Of course, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 clues us in by telling us that in the beginning God created male and female in his own image, in his own likeness. He created them, male and female. God gave us shape and form and souls and breathed life in us. God gave us purpose. God gave us his very image, imprinting us with his fingerprints. Dr. Martin Luther King said every human life is a reflection of divinity and every act of injustice mars or defaces the image of God and man. And so I'm sure we'd all agree that injustice includes things like someone shooting someone else in the streets of Chicago in cold blood and murder, or turning fire hoses and German shepherds on peaceful protesters, that's unjust, or falsely imprisoning someone or denying a certain group of people access to health care, education, and fair housing because of the color of their skin, or where they live, or how much money they earn. But we also deface the image of God in each other, and every sin is an injustice in this way, when we do things like insult one another, or even in our minds put other people in a category lower than us and say, well, they haven't worked as hard as me, or they're not as smart as me, or so on and so forth. We also mar the image of God in each other when we ignore people who have needs. Or when our wandering eyes, like a radar, activate missile lock on someone's body to satisfy our lusting, gluttonous hearts. Every sin against a person is an injustice. It mars and effaces the God-stamped image in that person, like vandalism against the image of God in them. What is vandalism? It's damaging someone's property. We are God's property. Amen? His handiwork. You better not lay a hand or say a word against God's property. That's the ultimate reason why we should act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly before God. Because God walked among us. God's image is in all of us. And that's why we can't just vandalize anyone's humanity. So, who are we and why do we matter? John 1 is a very helpful answer this second Sunday of Advent to be gripped by the incarnation, the coming of God in human flesh in Jesus Christ, to restore his image bearers to their glory, is to be given the truest truth, the most insightful insight, in the most ultimate, ultimacy of our own identity. That's what the incarnation gives us. So the first question that we're going to ask from this text is, who are we independent of God? Who are we independently? Who do we think we are? We really can't accurately define or defend human life, who we are, our identity, apart from God. We're not independent 
and can say, I got this. God, I got this. I can do this without you. No, we are created beings dependent on the Creator for existence and everything. John 1 gives us a whiff of what life apart from God is like. How to live independently from God, this is what it gets us. John says, in chapter 1, apart from the life-giving light of God, we are in darkness. He says the light has to come to you from the outside. God has to send His light into the world because unlike what the Quakers say, the inner light is not enough. If, if you're talking about the image of God, fine, but you don't have enough enlightenment for salvation and for knowledge of God. It, ha- it has to come from the outside, the person of Christ. Secondly, John says in chapter 1, we don't naturally recognize or receive the very creator of our lives, the very life giver of all. We refuse and suppress the light that is given to us. And we try to stomp out the light in other people if they try to outshine us. Imagine the kid growing up whose friends and maybe even his parents tell him, you stupid little mm, you're a worthless mm, you can't go to school there, you're not smart enough. Or a little boy or girl or even man or woman who looks in the mirror and cringes at what he or she sees because of what people have told them. We, we might protest and say, no, your life does matter. But we can't spout out some schmaltzy, syrupy stuff like, you can do whatever you dream. No, that doesn't work. I dreamed that I would become Superman when I was a kid. Then I realized they lied to me. I dreamed that I'd play professional basketball for the Chicago Bulls. It was a lie. The truth is, yes, God made you with love on purpose. You bear his image and are on mission in this world to do great things for him, even if it doesn't include dunking or otherwise flying. God loves you. That's why you matter. But what about the kids who did make it in this world, who got the good job, went to the good school, even got the person of their dreams, makes good money, but still asks, am I as good as my competition? Does my life matter? Am I better than those poor, poor people? Or even do I feel guilty about my privilege? So at least I should volunteer in the inner city one day a year or maybe even do a year-long internship with the Peace Corps, but before I move back to my mansion... Even those who made it ask the question, do I matter? Yes, you matter because God loves you. But how can we really know our true worth or the value of someone else ultimately without finding God's fingerprints everywhere? That's how we know because God permeates all of our life like an atmosphere, like the air we breathe. The Bible says that we are more than dust. We're more than the elements of the earth. Scientists say all the minerals and Elements of your body are worth about $1.50 or so. Well, yes, we are made of dust, but we're essentially more than amazingly organized dirt. Genesis 2, verse 7 says, God breathed life and dignity into the dust, named the first man, what? Adam, which means what? From the ground, Adama, soil or, or dirt. See that? We were not made independently at all. We would just be dirt if God hadn't have come in and breathed his life and stamped his image upon us. God who is Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. You see, we were made from relationship. We were made in relationship. The first family, the woman, made from the man, and all other humans, born of women. We are so very dependent on God and each other. That's who we are. And then after the beginning, in what runners or joggers might call a second wind, God's Spirit comes again in history in the fullness of time 2,000 years ago to his elect people and he comes 
to us here and now in our own conversion, in our own spirit-received life from God, resurrection life in Christ, salvation from sin and eternal significance imparted to us, and any justice movement, whether it's Black Lives Matter, anti-abortion, pro-life advocates, or even as today there are pro-life atheists, whether you're for immigration reform or prison reform, all advocates of justice must admit that lives are more than material matter to really matter. For us to fight the good fight and go on and on in the work of justice, we must understand that life only matters so as much as the Creator gives us life, loans us life, puts the image of Christ in us, that Christ did come in a human body on earth to be with us that Christ died in that body on the cross for us, that Christ in his body rose from the dead and rules and reigns on the throne of heaven for us, that's what makes us matter. John chapter 1, verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's a Greco-Roman wrestling word. The light has not been overcome by the darkness. The darkness cannot pin the light, body slam the light, or hold the light. The light is a pretty slippery thing. But the word could also be translated because John likes to use words with double meaning in his gospel, double entendre. The word, the darkness has not understood the light, is another way to translate it. The darkness hasn't understood the light. What is this thing about God and Jesus and the gospel? And we don't understand it, so we try to suppress and shout it down and shut out the light. We try to extinguish or eclipse the light. John 1 verse 9 says the true light, the true light, the true light, that's opposed to false light or dim light or partial light, like when the moon last night was in its waning gibbous phase, as my little girl Eliana said. I don't know what that means, but just a partial crescent moon, only a part of the light is showing a dim light. No, no, now we have the true light in Christ, the, the full light complete life, which enlightens everyone. All who are given eyes to see can see that Christ is the light. Now, let me ask you, who are the people in our modern world that seem to be enlightened? They seem to understand the world, how humans behave, how things work. People like scientists, right? Movie stars? No, no, not them. Scientists, maybe. Advertisers? Oh, advertisers definitely get us. They know our human psychology. They figure us out how to market to us and get us to buy things. But even the enlightened ones in our world don't understand often the true light of the world. Last week, New York Times read an article by Gene Bonner called In Toy As and On the Catwalk featuring companies who use Down syndrome models on the runway in fashion shows or others with physical disabilities in their advertising, like Fisher-Price, the toy company. And I quote, these companies allow communication of their values to connect with customers, particularly millennials, you young people, who value inclusivity and authenticity in advertising. Yes, we're all included. Inclusivity, authenticity. It's real, it's genuine. Be yourself. Our generation loves inclusion, right? We value all people like the little girl on the screen who has Down syndrome in this Fisher-Price ad. We value all people, including Down syndrome kids, right? Did you know that in the U.S. there are only 6,000 Down babies born every year? Wow, not many, right? I was surprised. I thought there would be more. I know enough people that have had children with Down syndrome, I thought there would be more. And there are more Down babies made 
in a mommy every year. There are many more down babies made in a mommy, but most of them don't make it out. The majority are aborted. So much for inclusion. Now, we'll include them if we want them. We assign them value if we like them. Wobble, wobble, wobble. See? It's very shaky ground that we're standing on. Listen to the terrifying logic of one of the most famous atheists on the planet. A brilliant fool who knows so much and yet makes so little sense. The geneticist Richard Dawkins, who you know, he wrote that book, The God Delusion. He responded to a woman who asked him on Twitter if she became pregnant with a baby with Down syndrome. She said, what would I do with such a real ethical dilemma? She said, I've got a problem if I have a baby with Down syndrome. Dawkins tweeted back, abort it and try again. It would be immoral to bring it into the world if you have the choice. Did you notice how the humanity of this Down syndrome baby is obviously overlooked? As he calls these babies it instead of he or she. He wrote back to the woman, if your morality is based, as mine is, on the desire to increase the sum of happiness and reduce suffering, when you have the choice to abort it early in the pregnancy, the decision to deliberately give birth to a Down's baby might actually be immoral from the point of view of the child's own welfare. Well, happy parents of happy Down syndrome children gave Richard Dawkins a righteous earful in protest, and rightfully so, and so because he can't answer in Twitter under 140 characters, he answered in a following article saying, those who took offense because they know and love a person with Down syndrome and who thought I was saying that their loved one had no right to exist, I have sympathy for this emotional point. But it is an emotional one, not a logical one. It is one of a common family of errors, one that frequently arises in the abortion debate. See, this is not a far-fetched outlier view. This is atheism's logical conclusion. If there's no God, life doesn't actually matter. We are simply matter. Survival of the fittest. Down babies, black babies, white babies, young black men. Why should any of their lives matter? Wobble, wobble, wobble. The fool says in his heart, there's no God. And then such a fool begins to think that he is God and tell you whose life matters and whose doesn't. In John chapter 1, verse 11, we read that God came to his own. The world that he made, but the world did not recognize or receive him. That's what life is like, independent of God. Now secondly, who is the incarnate word? Who is the incarnate word? That's the question. John 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the word... And that should remind every Jewish mind, at least, if not every Bible reader, of what scripture? Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created. What did God say first? Let there be light. Two words in the Hebrew. Light be. And in the mind and the mouth of God, he's, he speaks the word, and all the energy and all the light and all the heat in the universe instantly appears out of nothing. It's as if God had invented one of those big switches that you see on a circuit breaker where he flips the switch and suddenly all the stadium lights and all the lights in the city and all the lights in the universe just immediately come on. And then he appoints the sun to govern the day and the moon the lesser to govern the night. John says the Word was with God and the Word was God. The Greek word there is logos, the Word. It means God spoke a word and it came into being. 
It means God speaks his mind. God has this idea, the Logos, his plan for the universe. He speaks his mind and it happens. He says what's on his mind. The word was. The word was with God and the word was God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, according to John chapter 1, verse 18, tells us that no one has ever seen God, but the Son who is at the Father's side has made him known. Jesus is God's selfie. That's what we're, we're seeing here. John 1.18 says, No one's seen God, but Jesus says, Look at me. I am making God known to you. John chapter 1, verse 3 says, All things were made through him, and without him there wasn't anything made that was made. He made everything, and nothing exists that he didn't speak into being. And we only see a fraction of the whole. When we look at something as beautiful as this sun erupting solar flares and all sorts of other brilliant things that we've never seen with our own eyes, they're being shown to us. And yet Job chapter 26 verse 14 says, yesterday's Bible reading, the Discipleship Journal plan, it says this, Behold, these are but the outer fringes of his work. How small a whisper do we hear of him, but the thunder of his power, who can understand? John chapter 1 verse 4 goes on to say, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. He guides us. His very light gives us life. Just like the sun in our solar system. The sun is the blazing source of light and energy for our planet Earth. It is our light. It is our life. And God, even the Son of God, is the source of light and heat and energy and existence for this sun that you're looking at right now. For our whole solar system. For all of life in all of the universe. Jesus is the source. Jesus is the energy behind it. Moreover, he's the spiritual life of every person, breathing that second wind of his Holy Spirit into every person who repents and asks him to be the light of their life. He gives us power to see, to hear, to perceive, to know God. He gives us purpose, hope. He gives us love. He says, you matter because I say you matter. My word creates matter. My word creates meaning, and you matter and mean something to me. So imagine now putting the power of this blazing star, the power of the sun itself, the power of the solar system, the fireball in the sky. Imagine putting the sun into, let's say, the earth itself. Can you squeeze the sun into the earth? Even my seven-year-old told me last night, the earth would explode. My thoughts exactly. Now imagine if you would take that sun which could melt and explode the earth itself. And imagine if you put that sun into a human person. Imagine if you could put the sun into a gallon-sized plastic Ziploc bag. I mean, this is exactly what it means that God became flesh. That the sun in the sky, which is just a little pale blip in God's eyes, he became flesh. He entered a Ziploc bag. He entered human skin. How in the world could this be? That God would come into the world naked with just skin on, dependent on a blue-collar carpenter's family to rock him, feed him, burp him, change him. He came like this to change us, to change the way we think about each other, to change the way we think about ourselves, to say, you matter because I say you matter. He's our life. He's our light. Luke chapter 1, verse 78 says, because of God's tender mercy. So you've seen his power just a little hint of it, but because of this tender mercy, the sunrise shall visit us from on high and give light to those who sit in the darkness 
and in the shadow of death, and he shall guide our feet into the way of peace. Did you hear that? The sun itself will visit us from on high to show us the way to give us peace. Revelation chapter 1 says when we think about Jesus, we shouldn't just think about the baby in the manger or even just a man with ordinary appearances. But in Revelation chapter 1, when John sees Jesus in heaven, what does he see? He says his face was burning brighter than the sun. This is no ordinary human, Jesus. This is no religious icon. This man is life. He is life. He is the glory of God. He is God. And the final question we look at in just a minute is, what does this mean to us? Who are we now in dependence upon the incarnate God? Who are we if we have life with Jesus? If his life has shown in our hearts, what does it mean? Well, if you don't have life with Jesus, remember, independence from God is kind of like carrying coal from the sun or from a furnace. Let's just say that you, know, you go to someone's house that has a furnace with coal burning in it, and you say, I just need to borrow a few coals and take them to my house because I don't have a source of heat there. So you take the coals, you bring them home, great. You can be warm for a few hours, and then they're gone. You've got to go back again and get more. You're just borrowing life and light and heat and energy to just give you a few more minutes or hours in the cold winter. But having Jesus, he is the source of everything. He's the source of light and life. And when we have him, he's this unquenchable flame in whom we live and we move and we have our being and we have our meaning. That means we matter in him. John 1, 12-13 says, Whoever receives and believes in his name obtains the right to become the children of God. Not children born of flesh, human blood, or ancestry, so that means not because of the color of your skin, not because of the culture you grew up in, and not because of human will. So it's not because you're smarter and worked harder and you achieved something. That's not who becomes children of God. Who becomes children of God? It's of God's will. It's a right given by him alone. A divine right, a gift of grace. I want you to be my child. If you would have me, you receive me. Son, daughter, mine. And John, in another letter, beyond the Gospel of John, in 1 John, the letter, says over and over, if you love God and God is light to you, then you can't walk in the darkness anymore, can't keep living in sin and selfishness and pride. And how do you know that you love God and show it to the world? Well, easy. You love your brother and your sister. Stop hating people and lying to people and trying to outcompete people and trying to put them down. Stop trying to make yourself feel better by comparing yourself to others. He says, start loving people with the light of Christ. That's how you show them that you love and depend on Jesus, the light of the world, God in flesh, is you begin living out and in your flesh, showing them the type of love that was shown to you. Who are we? Why do we matter? Because as one of my favorite pastors from seminary used to say, we matter because the son of God's love, Jesus, became the son of God's wrath on the cross, so that sons and daughters of God's wrath, that's us, will become children of God's love. Why do we matter? Because the Son of God's love became the Son of God's wrath, so that children of God's wrath might become children of God's love. That's the offer he gives you. Would you receive and recognize that this is the only way that life matters? Would you recognize and receive the Son from on high into your heart. 
into your Ziploc bag of a life. Can you say, God of the universe, and come down and inhabit me, indwell me? Because I believe. Let's pray. Father, as we come this second Sunday of Advent, we recognize that there have been many, many other Sundays in the history of the world. There have been many other celebrations of Advent. For 2,000 years, people have been saying, wow, God came into the world, and he's going to come again. We just simply ask now that you would help us to order our steps and to speak words and to live with the time and the money and the talents we have right now in a way that would magnify the incarnation and magnify the image of God that you've put in all of us. May we would learn to speak up boldly and loudly and clearly and say, black lives matter, unborn children's lives matter, the lives of people who have been harassed and oppressed in all sorts of walks of life, they matter because you said they matter. Help us to live lives that matter. O Son of God, come from on high and show us the light in our darkness and show us the light in the shadow of death that we live in and show us the light so that we might walk in the path of peace with you and with each other. We ask all this in Jesus' name, the light of the world. Amen.